Now, the Wealth Protection Diva is a successful entrepreneur, business owner, and premier business strategist, president and CEO of Sage International Incorporated, and a national speaker, best-selling author, and motivational teacher of financial education, business development, and wealth protection strategies, the joys and frustrations of being a business owner. Her insights are motivating. Her frankness inspiring. Here is Sherry Hill. W. Edwards Deming once observed that in most companies, a small percentage of employees are clearly superior, a small percentage are incompetent, and the majority of the remaining people will perform as well as the organizational systems and processes allow them to do so. In May, I attended the Nevada Economic Development Conference at UNR, which is where I met my fabulous guest, Patrick McGoy, who is an internationally recognized premier meeting facilitator, business trainer, and keynote speaker. Pat is acclaimed as one of the top five entertainers in North America. I like that. I enjoyed his presentations because his ability to activate people while laughing and learning was excellent and certainly accounts for his success coast to coast. You can check out his website at activatingpeople.com. Well, Pat is living large in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and I asked him to lay down his fishing pole for a little while to come talk with us. So let me say thank you and welcome, Pat. Well, you're very welcome. And uh, we came very close to doing this interview on the new boat. (laughs) Well, that would have been fine. I would have liked to have gone uh, out there on the water with you. (laughs) Well, as we're recording, though, there's uh, uh, fires all around us right now that are uh, uh, sort of making it, uh, the fishermen are asked to be, you know, set aside so they can get the fireboats to the the affected areas. But uh, I think they're doing a pretty good job. Awesome. Well, let's let's jump in because a lot of your focus is on business leadership, management, and solid team performance. And an interesting fact from the book Good to Great is that the executives who ignited transformation didn't first figure out where to drive the bus and then get people to take it there. No, they first got the right people on the bus and, of course, the wrong ones off and then figured out where to drive it. So let's talk about that because you work, obviously, helping and training organizations to have great team members. Sure. The uh, you know listening to a couple of things that uh, that you've mentioned Deming uh, I paraphrase what Deming said when it comes to employees you have performers or builders uh, you have occupiers and you have wreckers again three different types but uh, uh, and sadly though uh, any employee can be any one of those at any particular time it can be a performer if they're motivated they can be an occupier if they're tired and they can be a wrecker if uh, the uh, situation in the office uh, uh, starts requiring things like that and now with uh, Jim Collins probably the uh, uh, the finest business book uh, uh, as articulated by one author as you can get. Not only did he say we had to get uh, uh, the right people on the bus, we had to get them in the right seats. And that's always a, uh, uh, a big challenge when you have people moving them around. Some people are pleased by it, some aren't. And then those decisions then go back, are they a builder? Are they a performer? Are they an occupier? Or again, are they uh, a wrecker? Right. So I, I like to look at it, uh, you know, from those points of view, and from the point of view of a consultant, I uh, 
I'm going to tell you that uh, I believe my role as a consultant is, you know, to tell people basically what they already know. Uh, so sometimes that affirms it. Uh, sometimes that helps them remember. And sometimes it creates an argument. Right. <laughs> because we already know. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's, uh, uh, but, but if you're pragmatic about it, and if you know going to, because you've got this investment, you're going to be paying money to have somebody tell you uh, uh, what you already know, but it's, uh, uh, I guess the real value is, is in how a uh, consultant articulates to you. Uh, I'll share with people, I'm like a flashlight at high noon. I'm here to illuminate what you can already see. But, uh, sometimes you need that because you are so surrounded. Uh, it's like being on a forest floor and surrounded by so many trees and trying to see the whole forest. You just can't. And so sometimes a uh, another set of eyes can come in that flew over your community first and can see things a little bit differently. Right. Well, when you were brought into organizations, I mean, obviously, you know, to be a functioning company, you would think that, you know, with all the information over all the years talking about getting the right people on your team, does it still surprise you that people are operating at the mediocre level when realistically it's it's not that hard? What do you see? <laughs> Well, you know, it's uh, there, there's a big culture change in America. There's uh, uh, things that are happening that are somewhat depressing in organizations from churches to uh, uh, chambers of commerce, from associations to economic development organizations. Uh, they're simply that, organizations. And they're facing a, a roadblock that uh, uh, the great author and uh, speaker, Matthew Kelly, uh, who I refer to periodically with his permission, uh, he says that there are three philosophies that are um, really creating roadblocks in organizations, and, and they are individualism, hedonism, and minimalism. And to quickly define those, individualism is people uh, coming to work in an organization or coming even to worship in an organization, if you want to look at it that way, and saying, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And yet, all of these organizations, whether a chamber of commerce or the church, they were all uh, designed and created for us. They are all us organizations, but unfortunately loaded with people saying, what's in it for me? Uh, hedonism is simply uh, people saying, uh, if it feels good, baby, do it. And anytime somebody says, if it feels good, baby, do it, they're really saying, I don't care. You know what, let's just get out, I don't care. And I don't care what you think or they think or anybody else thinks, I don't care. And it's a philosophy that's a huge roadblock in any organization. And sadly, and if you go back to the uh, the other descriptions I was sharing, uh, if uh, if you look at those, I don't care is an occupier, if you recall that. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and this one is just uh, uh, so well articulated by Kelly that I have to steal, uh, plagiarize, uh, research <laughs> it because I'm a consultant, and and tell people that uh, the last philosophy that's killing all of us in organization is minimalism. Uh, he was talking about it in the church. People saying, what's the least I can do to get to heaven? Well, whether you believe or not, you have to see the absurdity in that. And then we're loaded with people periodically that say, what's the least I can do uh, to get a paycheck today? Nobody's waking up saying, hey, what's the most I can do today? And uh, uh, it's somewhat sad. 
it's it's truly somewhat sad. People aren't filling their days. They're not making the days go fast. They're being occupiers, and they've got days going slower. And all of that momentum slows to a stop. Right. Well, and which is so bizarre to me because when you think of you know internally in an organization, I mean, what's people want to be engaged? People want to have fun. People want their day to go by. And I, I would think, just as a human being, it's a, it's a lot more fun if my day is filled and I'm busy and I'm engaged and I'm innovative and all those kinds of things. So what is it you see at the organizational level? Is it leadership? Is it management practices that are basically suffocating these employees? Well, I think it's a great question, and we could throw the stone at anybody, but if you really want one person's opinion, uh, I think it goes back to a cultural issue and a parenting issue. We have a lot of kids, uh, young people coming into the workforce today uh, who are raised by helicopter parents. These were the ones that protected them. They haven't learned to protect themselves. They've had everything done for them, and all of a sudden they don't know how to do anything. Now, uh, it was of good intention with the parents because they were sent into a a frightful stage because of all the television and news that they watch and and that we're still getting to this day. But uh, by overprotecting our young and by uh, not letting them out on their own, they don't know how to be on their own and they don't know how to protect themselves. So I think that there's a huge culture out there uh, that is permeating our society with that. And that's not a political statement, and that's not a put-down. I think it's just uh, uh, one of those things that uh, has happened through a culture. And so then it gets into the workplace, and you wonder where some of these programs, uh, or problems, I should say, uh, begin. Yeah, well, but when you think about it, a lot of these young people... Um, are now the leaders in organizations. So if yeah, if they've been well, sheltered, what's exciting yeah. about that though, they're they're uh, uh, the ones that are coming up that are really the uh, the drivers and the leaders. They were these were the ones that were allowed to do that when they were young, but yet they're trying to hire their friends and neighbors and those people that weren't allowed to do that. So there's a there's a bit of a dichotomy there. And uh, uh, you know, I was uh, I wanted to share with you. I'm I'm in the middle of a book. I'm a year late in reading it, uh, but it's. Uh, John Scully's uh, Moonshot, and it's talking about businesses adapting uh, uh, to today and adapting to the things that need to be done today. And it's uh, uh, just a dynamic book that addresses some of these uh, uh, these issues, and I think uh, something that, yet, yet another read. It appears to me that many of your listeners uh, like a good read, and boy, I'll tell you, that's one that's, uh, that's out there right Well, now. I just, I wrote that down. From your internal perspective and working with a lot of companies where, you know, obviously you're brought in as a consultant because they're, they're waving a, a flag at you going, we have some kind of an organizational issue. So the first thing I'm guessing at is you do look at the culture and then it drills down into leadership. I have a list of questions that I go through, and it's a uh, uh, it's not the SWOT analysis, but I often tell people uh, uh, my list of questions is the SWOT analysis on steroids, and it's a uh, it's a complete look, uh, a facilitator's look at trying to identify what's great and what's missing, and uh, I can go through that uh, more deeply with you on the uh, uh, in the next segment if you'd like. That's a perfect segue. When we come back, I'm going to ask you to share that with our listeners. So stick with us. We'll be right back. 
This is Scott Waite, Certified Public Accountant and Management Consultant at RS Waite Chartered. You are listening to the Sherry Hill Radio Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she has tremendous personality and reaches a great business audience. Sherry Hill is an enthusiastic motivator. Why should you do business with Sage International Incorporated instead of filing a corporation or LLC on your own? Or worse, using one of those $99 plus state fee sites? Well, first, you actually get to talk with someone who is going to work directly with you to develop a business strategy that is tailored specifically to the business you want to start. Second, unless you know what questions to ask, how do you know if the entity you choose will actually do everything you think it should? like protect your assets and significantly reduce your taxes. For over 20 years, Sage International Incorporated has helped thousands of business owners put the proper foundation under their dream. If you want to get started on the right business track, schedule your free 30-minute consultation today. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. Welcome back to the Sherry Hill Show, doing everything possible to spark and fuel your entrepreneurial dreams. Now, here's your host, Sherry Hill. Reality is that people do business with people. In fact, each and every time a customer conducts business with your company, that person leaves feeling either better or worse about the encounter. So to a customer, every employee is the company. The most common form of bad service is employee indifference. They have received no training regarding effective interaction with customers. They honestly don't know how to provide service to a customer. Joining me today is Patrick McGoy, an international business speaker with a background of professional success in broadcasting and business association management. His professional experience combined with a constant examination of historical, current, and future trends is the foundation for his presentations on business leadership, management, marketing, sales, and personal performance. His website, activatingpeople.com. Pat, in one of your programs, you offer excellence in the workplace. You talk about the customer comes last. If you want the customer to feel like number one, share what you mean by that. <laughs> it, is, it is an odd one. And, and oddly, I teach a marketing class, and sometimes this doesn't get me the business. But people think, wait a minute, I don't want my people to be taught that the customer comes last. Uh, but in fact... If you look at the really sharp companies, and obviously one of the the great ones that we all know, the ones where we still get some dynamic service, even with all of the, uh, the problems they're facing in the airline industry today, is Southwest Airlines. Uh, I believe that uh, uh, they put themselves first. Uh, I'm going to tell you, there's a great quote from Herb Kelleher that uh, th- this is a statement that every employee wants their boss to make. And it was Kelleher who said years ago when he started the company, he said, the, c- the customer isn't always right. And if you abuse my people, fly somebody else. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't want to work for that cowboy? Right. I mean, that's somebody who's got their back. But now, let's go back to uh, my philosophy on, on uh, uh, the customer coming last. I'll ask audiences across the nation, who here has ever had a bad day? And, of course, people will raise their hand. And I'll follow up with, and decided to share it with others. And people kind of start to bring their hand down, but they can't because when you go to work with a bad day, oh, hi, how are you doing? Crappy, don't ask. Feel sorry for me. Well, now you've got two people basically out of the workplace that day because one is depressed and has uh, infected another one. So uh, my first message is the first customers in the mirror. How do you look at yourself every morning? Do you act, Other than shaving and, and putting on your makeup or whatever it may be, Do you ever actually stop and look at the face other people look at? And then actually have a conversation with yourself. And I know that's weird, but at the same time, do you have a conversation with the face other people have that conversation with throughout the rest of the day? You take care, how do you treat yourself is basically uh, the first step uh, in, in customer relations because the first customer, I'm going to tell everybody, is in the mirror. And then the second customer is our family. How do we treat family? You know, there's some restaurants out there that say, hey, we treat you like family. And I'm sitting here in the audience going, whoa, not going there. Because if you stop and think about it, how uh, people, uh, you know, in our families, we're so casual with each other. Sometimes that's not a good thing. The next customer that we meet every day are the people that we live with, uh, those people that we're supposed to have the truest relationship with. And now we've practiced with ourselves, we've practiced with our family, and how about those people on the road going to work? Now, uh, Sherry, let me ask you, have you ever been on the road going to work and been cut off by some jerk? Yes. Sure. Have you ever wanted to give that jerk half the peace sign? Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, and if you do, all of a sudden you create. How do you treat those people that are difficult? How do you, uh, do you stop and let people in? Uh, do you, uh, uh, you know, in line or do you get angry? Do you try to force that thing? What type of person are you? How are you treating the customers on the road? And I'll tell you, it's just a set, it's a practice to get us to that final customer that we want to feel like number one. But as we've said in broadcasting for years and years, but wait, there's still more. Order before midnight tonight and get a free set of Ginsu knives. We get to work, and the next customer are the internal customers, the people we work with. So you've got yourself, that relationship. Uh, You've got the family. You've got the people you drive with. How are you doing? How are you practicing on that? And then uh, treating the people that you actually work with every day before the door opens for the real customer. And if people stop and analyze themselves, you know, there's an old saying, if you have a bad day, leave it at the door. Leave it at the door and go on stage. All business is show business. And all business is also a practice. And that's the foundation of the message that I share with people when we start talking. And it's amazing how uh, young people who've never had training, and again, I tell them, I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not a fat guy in a little coat that lives in a van down by the river. I'm a business speaker, and I'm all about activating business so business can be strong and keep paying you your paycheck. Uh, I try to be as pragmatic as possible with people without coming off as Matt Foley or Chris Farley. And uh, which, by the way, there's a big new movie coming out about him, which I'm thrilled about. 
but it becomes real to these folks. And then we go back and we start looking, we try to overcome some of the cultural issues that we've had and to uh, get that. But when people see it, it's a big deal. Absolutely. I love that uh, analogy you just took us through. And especially as a business owner, you're concerned with, you know, the four walls that encompass all of your employees and, and your team, and yet realizing that there's a whole bunch of process for those people to show up to work. At the beginning of this segment, you said people do business with people. Well, actually, there's more to that. People do business with people they know. Uh, It's a tenant of the Chamber of Commerce industry. That's why they say networking is one letter away from not working. Well, if you are a person you want other people to know, that's a good thing. But if you're a person without personality, if you're a person that doesn't know how to communicate, I don't want you there. Right. (laughs) If you understand what I'm trying to say. Yes. Absolutely. This is Sherry Hill. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show with guest Pat McGoy. And we're talking about, you know, a customer service and and a program that you, you know, you go, you're brought into a lot of organizations throughout North America. In our last segment, we were talking about the culture. And of course, you know, if I can have a bad time getting to work once I show up to work, I as a business owner hope I'm providing a culture that becomes engaging and innovative and all those. So everything that that did happen prior to my getting there, I can actually check at the door. So you were talking about you want to go through your extra large analysis. So please share that with us. Okay. Uh, and before I do, let me, I want to preface one more thing about uh, leaving the last topic, uh, topic, excellence in the workplace. If people look at it, it's actually spelled E-X-S-E-L-L-E-N-C-E, and then work is highlighted. Uh, it's, it's a presentation not only for the customer, uh, but it's going back to selling work as a good thing, as, as fulfillment. And so I, I wanted to be mm-hmm. sure I, I talked about that. For years... The SWOT analysis has been the, uh, uh, the trademark of every facilitator uh, in America. And uh, I've got to tell you, it's obviously worked uh, through many, many businesses. But I have been focused with uh, chambers of commerce and associations, people working with boards, uh, something that you might uh, – us organizations, basically. And the one thing, uh, when you have strengths with, for the S – weaknesses uh, for the W, opportunities for the goals that we want to set, and then end the meeting on threats, I think in a, uh, a business association volunteer organization process, it's a terrible way to end a meeting. So for years, I did the SWIDO. <laughs> in other words, <laughs> strengths, weaknesses, threats, and then end on goal so people walk away highly motivated, ready to go. But the problem with that is that when they walked away highly motivated, they really didn't know what to do. There was no step. They just said, hey, let's charge. Where are you going? I don't know. But uh, it would uh, proceed that way. So I sat back and uh, through uh, evolution of time as a, as a uh, consultant and a facilitator, if you will, uh, I developed the extra large analysis and with the EX standing for expectations. 
anytime you sit down to evaluate something, you ought to say, what do we expect from this meeting? Uh, when I'm talking with employees, what do you expect from your employer and from your job here at the XYZ company? And people will often say, I don't know. And I just move on and say, well, if you did know, give me a guess. And they will. And they'll, ex- they'll say, I expect to be respected or I expect a paycheck on time. But they'll start to uh, prioritize the things that are most important to them. You cannot help but know somebody better when all of a sudden you realize their priorities. But that expectation meeting is only half done because the company then gets to ask and says, hey, what do you think we expect from you? And they'll, they'll look at it, the question's unexpected, and go, I don't know. And then uh, the company should say, well, if you did know, guess, tell me what you think I and we expect from you. Well, I, I think you want me to be at work on time. Yes, but we don't want you jumping over the line at 8 o'clock and just showing up. We actually expect you to wor- be working wherever it is you work at 8 o'clock. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, that's because we haven't had this little talk, this little meeting. Expectations. Up until this point, we've been living in the land of assumption. So I want no assumption about the end of a meeting or the end of an analysis. Uh, I want people to tell me, what do we want at the end of the day? And uh, that becomes the alpha and the omega of the meeting. So instead of strengths, I use the word, uh, the L word, because it makes the great uh, acronym, but it's the love list. It's the same as strengths, but what do you love? What do you like? What do you laud? word of applaud about our job or about our organization or whatever it is we're trying to do for the meeting. And people will constantly, they'll come up and say, oh, I like this and I love that and I love, you know, I love, 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 love until somebody then says, yeah, but, and I say, all right, time out, save the yeah, but for the next one. And in the old SWOT analysis, it was what's weak, what's wrong. And in this analysis, it's simply what's absent, what's missing. Where are we a court low? Because we love all of this other stuff. So now when somebody says, yeah, but, instead of having a negative talk on a negative term, let's have positive talk on a negative term and say, what's missing? And when people identify that, then they naturally say, they say, well, we're not doing this and we're not doing that. Then people automatically say, well, here's why. Ah, those are the former threats that we call roadblocks. So you've got EX for expectations, L for the love list, A for the absent list, and now the roadblocks, which formerly were known as threats. And the roadblocks are these, time, money, fear, pride, politics, and energy. Uh, Time and money are always in there. Fear, what are we afraid of? The politics, there's always politics in business. Uh, Energy, are we tired? You know, it's, it's all of those sorts of things, but that's great discussion. So now everything has waterfalled from, I love this, but this is missing, and here's why. And then when you have those three discussions, I'm going to tell you, entrepreneurs' mind automatically go to goal. Bingo. They go, oh, all we have to do is this, or all we have to do is that. And it's just amazing how it flows. So your L-A-R-G is the SWOT analysis, really, only just uh, inverted a little bit. But the last letter in extra large is E for execution. And we don't have time in the radio show to tell you the process that I go through that, but I will share with you uh, when uh, they walk away. I'm not a consultant that gives people a huge binder to justify my fee. I give you results and basically it's on a piece of paper. I love it's, it. It's your agenda for all of the next meetings and uh, uh, people are amazed by it. We're going to pick up on this 
terrific educational conversation, and I'm learning a lot from you again. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is Tom Taramina from Virginia City, Nevada. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she has the passion for excellence. Sherry Hill is your next business advisor. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services that will lay a solid foundation under a business owner's dream. If you're thinking of starting a business and you're not sure where to begin, Sage International Incorporated offers a free 30-minute consultation. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. This is Hugh Ballou from Blacksburg, Virginia. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill rocks because she's a leader's leader and an inspiration. Thank you, Sherry. Welcome back to The Sherry Hill Show, doing everything possible to spark and fuel your entrepreneurial dreams. Now, here's your host, Sherry Hill. Approximately 11 million meetings occur in the U.S. each and every day. Every business, whether it has two employees or 2,000, has meetings as a regular part of getting things done. Meetings are unpopular because they take up time, usually that of many people. However, there are good meetings and there are bad meetings. Well, what are the harms to our productivity in the workplace that result from these bad meetings? Consider this. 91% of most professionals who meet on a regular basis admit to daydreaming. 96% actually miss meetings. Furthermore, a large percentage, about 73%, say they have brought other work to meetings, and 39% say they have actually dozed during those meetings. Pat McGoy is a certified professional facilitator, CPF, by the International Association of Facilitators, who has facilitated over 250 successful strategic planning retreats for boards of directors, staff retreats, leadership teams, and sales teams. He has also led three successful chambers of commerce in Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, where he teamed with his volunteers in Coeur d'Alene to cross the 1,000-member barrier to build a $200,000 auction and grow chamber reserves to over $350,000. So, Pat, The two words, strategic planning, provoke reactions anywhere from sheer exuberance to ducking for cover. (laughs) It is uh, uh, fascinating that that we're talking about this uh, uh, following the uh, the extra large analysis, which is the agenda. It's it's just a terrific agenda. And I do have a copyright rule on that, by the way. And the rule is you have the right to copy it. That's what my job is a consultant. Give people stuff. Right. Thank but, you. Uh, <laughs> there are three types of people that go to meetings. Doesn't matter if it's the annual banquet or a big dinner or a planning session. And those three types of people are prisoners, vacationers, and seekers. And I share this uh, uh, with conferences, but in fact, this is a preface to my presentations often, because I tell people, prisoners, people have other things they have to be doing, and now this comes along. So they feel trapped. They have to be there. 
and they don't want to be there. So it's just important to understand that they're there. A few people are there and feeling that way. Vacationers are a lot like the prisoners, but they're being paid to be there. So they're on vacation. There's no test. Thanks very much. I'll just show up, uh, which falls into that. Again, we go back to the occupier. Vacationers are a lot like occupiers. But the third type of person that goes to any meeting, and you'll love this. Well, I hope you do, because I loved it when I heard it the very first time. The third type of person seekers. And these are people that are ruthless with their time and their money. If they're going to be there, make it count, partner. And as a business consultant, you see, I'm a businessman before I became a consultant. I'm an accidental consultant. Uh, I operate every facilitation, every business uh, contract as if it's my business. And uh, going in and going to town on it like that. So uh, so it's all business. It's not there for motivation as much as it is there for activation. Now let's talk about strategic planning. A uh, couple of things that are important for you to know and for people that are listening today is uh, if you ever want to keep a board of directors or a, a management team away from a strategic planning session, uh, session tell them you're going to talk about vision and mission <laughs> because they think in the back of their mind, oh, great, then we're going to kumbaya and have a group hug. And yet nothing is more important than vision and mission. And another roadblock for people going to a vision and mission setting uh, uh, meeting is the fact that they don't know the difference. Well, is that a mission statement or is that a vision statement? So it's up to a great facilitator and a great consultant, I think, and, and there's so many of us out there uh, that uh, we share this with, say, understand that vision is what you want the company to be, and mission is what the company is willing to do to be. So uh, uh, vision is always first. You've got to say, okay, we're together, or sometimes it's just CEO or the owner, or the company owner's uh, right and ability to say, folks, here's the vision. This is what I want it to be because they have the great investment. They can say, we are going to be this, that, and the other thing in the future. This is the picture of us in the future. So now it's up to the, if you will, missionaries to do the mission, if you will. And a smart manager, a smart owner, a smart leader will say, okay, write the mission statement. What are you willing to do to make this picture become true? And understanding that they write it, but the owner, the manager, the supervisor, whoever the leader is, uh, they get to ratify the mission statement. Yes. That the employees or the board or whoever writes it, writes it. So now that authorship creates an ownership. There's an old saying in uh, uh, facilitation work and in uh, uh, consulting, if the team will write the plan, they will underwrite the plan because there's that sense of ownership. But the manager loses nothing because she or he or the owner, whoever it may be, the leader, uh, they still get to ratify it. They still get to say, is this the best he can do? Well, we'll take it back. And then they bring it back and they say, is this the best you can do? Well, we'll take it back again. And finally it comes back and they, he says, is this the best you can do? And they say, yes. Well, that's what I was waiting for. And now we'll move forward. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's just so sad that people look at vision and mission as a group hug and a time to sing Kumbaya, when in fact a great strategic plan cannot be built unless you have those first. Now let's get to the other thing that stops people from coming to a meeting, and that's the word itself, strategic. 
when I when I went through and got my certification, I started going to the uh, conferences for the uh, International Association of Facilitators, and I I went to the most important conference room, the B A R, and that's where people sit and they you know they really start to uh, uh, you know share their problems and all those things, and you learn a lot. I asked six facilitators. I said, "What does strategic mean?" And guess how many different answers I got? Six. <laughs> Five. Two of two of them were married. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> two of them were married, so they were on the same page. But they all defined it. They said the same thing, but they defined it differently. And and Sherry, I'll share with you that the word itself intimidates people. So I, I recommend all facilitators and owners who hire them is to get to say, let's understand that we understand the word strategic before we go further. I tell people strategic is still visionary. It's what we want to be as an administration, what we want to be as a sales department, what we want to be as a manufacturer. You know, what's what do we look like 5, 10, 20 years from now? And then the tactical goals, the program of work that we, you know, our checkoff list, our honeydew list, whatever you want to call it, that becomes tactical planning. And if you do it well, you do strategic first and say, let's Let's create vision statements for all these different areas of our company, and then, and then let's come up with the to-do list, the tactical goals, so we can see some accomplishment and get us toward them. But funny, vision, mission, and strategic are words that scare people, and, and if you just discuss them before you start, plan on having a better meeting. Yeah. Once you have pretty much nailed down your strategic plan you know this is what we want to be this is what we want to look like you shouldn't have to spend so much time on it you're evaluating certainly but the tactical side is what's driving you to get there and i'm always blown away because i teach business planning classes how many people are absolutely unclear about what they do where they're going and why they're trying to get there and that's like a foundation piece of starting a business. Well, let me let me just share with you the uh, the greatest definition that I have been able to come up with, and this is just mine uh, because I'm a simple guy. Uh, I'll tell you that uh, I've I've done things. I try to do things. You know, they say they write newspapers. Uh, you remember newspapers? Uh, the uh, they write them at the sixth grade level. Well, that's good for me. All right, I can deal with that. But here's uh, the definition of vision is your to-be statement. What do you want to be? The definition of a mission statement is what are you willing to do? So it's to be, to do, to do, to be. To do, be, do, be, do. <laughs> Figure it out. But always on your website, make sure vision is the top thing. And mission chronologically always follows a great vision statement. But again, and I think you're hitting it right on the head, the definition is so important before you start so people live up to the one word and only one word that defines true communication, and that is understanding. Right. Understand? (laughs) Right. (laughs) If they don't understand, they're just going to sit there and they're going to want to go away. Uh, It's just not clear. And some people say, well, it sounds so simple. The simplest things are usually the things that get uh, confusing. Well, it's the people that complicate the simple, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> There's a lot of different DNA in every office that we have, in every work environment, and, and every audience I have. Right. It's, uh, but then I, I fight that a little bit. I tell every audience, I, I, I ask, I say, do you know what it takes to be a great speaker? And they'll look at me, I say, a great audience. So half of this is on you. <laughs> exactly. Don't don't make me do all the work, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's just amazing uh, uh, how, uh, uh, if 
you ever go to a bad comedian, if you're in a room, if you're at a, you know, a, a, one of these uh, comedy shops and the guy's bad, start laughing at him. Watch him get better. Yes. Just laugh even though the joke is bad. It, it's just amazing to me uh, how all of a sudden they'll get on. And then if they don't, well, then it be, doesn't matter. You had fun yourself. When, when I used to put on big events, when I'd bring up each speaker, I'd make the audience give them a standing ovation when they were coming up. Because, again, what does that do? It fires up the speaker, and they've already got their standing ovation. Now deliver. <laughs> oh, you know, I just love you for that. I mean, why you didn't hire me, I that just know. makes me mad now. <laughs> You're a professional facilitator, and I'm sure you see the difference in results when somebody tries to do it on their own. And, of course, they bring in all their own agenda, emotion, DNA, as you stated, versus somebody who is not emotionally attached the the right. different types of results you experience. You know, the issue on that one is, is uh, it goes back to, doctor, do not heal thyself, okay? Uh, it is, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it, when you try to facilitate your own meeting, you are a manipulator. Uh, you're a, even though you're not, you're doing your honest and your best effort at being a facilitator that will not be perceived that way. It will be perceived as, as being, you being a manipulator. And if it's perceived, it might as well be real, even if it's not. That's pretty important. Right. Millions of meetings we hold each year. If you're not walking out with a result, then what is the point? I'm sure you, you tell people, quit having meetings if they're ineffective. Well, and, and the best meeting is uh, uh, when it's over, you know, just because you blocked out an hour for it don't, doesn't mean you have to stay an hour. Go away. If you're done in 10 minutes, go away. Mm -hmm. uh, it just doesn't make sense to uh, uh, just fill time simply because the calendar says that's what you've got blocked out. Absolutely. Be successful in business if you follow some of what my guest Pat McGoy is talking about today. Sage International Incorporated fosters the entrepreneurial spirit by first educating our clients. In fact, we wrote the best-selling book, Incorporate and Get Rich, as recommended by Robert Kiyosaki in his bestseller, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. For over 20 years, we've taught thousands of business owners, investors, professionals, and entrepreneurs how to properly structure their business and personal assets to avoid the three flaming arrows of challenge, income taxes, liability exposure, probate and death taxes. Call Sage International Incorporated at 1-800-254-5779 to set up a free 30-minute consultation. That's 1-800-254-5779. Sage International. This is Patrick McGoy from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill, a wealth protection diva. Welcome back to The Sherry Hill Show, doing everything possible to spark and fuel your entrepreneurial dreams. Now, here's your host, Sherry Hill. If you're in business, you're in sales. However, most of the sales training available today has lost touch with the constantly changing environment in which selling takes place. My guest, Pat McGoy, started his career in broadcasting as an on-air personality in Portland, Oregon and Phoenix, Arizona. His broadcasting career evolved into sales and programming management positions where he led the rebuilding of two radio stations featuring record sales and ratings. 
His early success in broadcasting was the foundation for Pat's successes as a business association executive, where he led three chambers of commerce to membership and financial success. In Idaho, his Chamber of Commerce broke the 1,000-member barrier in a community of 24,000, and his annual events drew crowds, proving that you can be big in any size community. Pat has been a regular faculty member for the United States Chamber of Commerce Institute for Organization Management at five major universities since 2000. His website is activatingpeople.com. So, Pat, in the many people that you've run through your programs sold on selling, what is the first lesson you have to address when it comes to salespeople? Sherry, it's interesting. When I do that program, usually I do two for one, two seminars for one, because the preface for great sales is a strong marketing process. I go through a marketing process that teaches people uh, to sell what it is you really do, uh, the ultimate end result of your work. And uh, that's a little program I, I call Fish on Marketing. If somebody asks me on an airplane, what do you do? I don't tell them I'm a motivational speaker uh, because they would yell and scream and say, oh, no, not for two hours. Right. <laughs> New seat. But... <laughs> Or if I said, I'm a car salesman, no, no, and all of that. But uh, at the same time, when I tell people, they say, Pat, what do you do? I'll say, if I do my job well, I activate people. Or sometimes I'll go to the mission statement of my company, which I practice what I preach, and I'll say, if I do my job well, I create new income for our clients because I help them find all of their new income. Well, the moment I say that, those people say, what do you mean? And that is the fish-on moment. Now, I'm not trying to hook them or, you know, manipulate them or anything, but what I am trying to do at all times is get permission to sell. In the automobile business, uh, if you talk to any of those guys that are on the line talking to customers, they've got a term called show up and throw up. And it's just, hi, what are you doing? I'm going to show you a car. I'm trying to sell you the car. They don't, they don't try to create a relationship. Well, the smart salespeople always wait for the customer to give you permission to sell. So in this aspect, when people say, what do you do? Uh, oddly, I activate people, or I live up to my company name, activate people. And then they'll say, how do you do that? You're now given permission to sell. And we start and look at the selling side. Uh, I teach a class called Selling Naked. People say, what do you mean selling naked? <laughs> Fish on. <laughs> now I have permission well, to as sell. I, okay. it, we're, this show is airing in Nevada. It's not a big stretch. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, really it is. But, uh, but I'm not selling with a pole. Okay? Right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, uh, but, you know, well, if you go back to it, you know, historic marketing, you know, sex sells. So if you say something like selling naked, you know, I quickly have to tell people it's not going to be lewd and it's not going to be lascivious. It can't be lascivious because I can't spell it. Uh, I'm lucky to be able to pronounce it. But what I tell people is selling naked is selling without a prop, is selling without a brochure, is selling totally with the knowledge you have of your product and services that comes quickly and, and, and uh, directly from your mind to the customer. It answers the questions that the customer wants. I tell a magnificent story about my bonus father. You know, some people call their uh, their 
their second dad, their stepdad, or something like that. Well, I had a bonus dad, and I learned that phrase from uh, Anna Leota, who's just a terrific speaker uh, across the country, a woman that you should interview sometime, by the way. Thank you. And uh, she, she had a bonus mom, and I realized I had a bonus dad. And my bonus dad, his name was Carl Anderson. He was the most highly recruited truck salesman during his time, during his career. And I asked him why. And he looked at me and he said, son, I know everything. And of course, I was a teenager and my response had to be, yeah, sure. But I knew this man well enough to not insult him. I said, tell me, what do you mean by that? He said, son, I know uh, a tractor trailer inside and I know the thread size on every bolt. I know the uh, thickness of the leather on the seats. I know the diameter of the steering wheel. I know the lumens and the headlights. I know everything. So when somebody looks at a truck with me, I take them through and they own it before they buy it because it's impossible to own something or to not own something if you know everything about it. So instead of sitting at the water cooler with the other salesmen, he was on the phone to the engineers who made the Kenworth and Peterbilt trucks. He was on the phone doing all of this uh, uh, research so he could just share the research and it made him an expert. People want to buy from an expert. He was selling naked and, and it was uh, uh, just a fabulous lesson. And of course, you mentioned in my introduction that I was in the broadcast business. Well, you have to know some, you need to know your data, you need to know your demographics. And uh, I, I will tell you, I often share this with audiences. If you can sell air, you can sell anything. Right. <laughs> exactly. So at the, at the, but you got to know the data behind it. So if you know your product backwards and forwards, so instead of wasting time waiting for a customer, go do some research. Find something new. If you find one new thing a day, what's that 220 things of expertise about a product or service that you have, that comes to your mind because you've learned it all in a day, and all of a sudden you are the expert and people trust you. Right. When you have the full knowledge, it's tough to not buy from somebody that way. Well, but but I think part of, you know, also is you know all that knowledge, but it doesn't mean, like you said, you're going to barf all over the, the person. They're going to guide you as to what information that they want, and then, of course, you know that information. Which comes back to the question. And another, a man taught me years ago, and, and just a mentor of mine, he says, remember, no wars were ever started on questions. If people would keep, uh, uh, keep asking questions, uh, they're not going to start any wars. So think about that, uh, that objection, that little war you have when you're selling. Well, just keep asking questions and let them keep talking. And, uh, and, and as they keep asking questions, if you've done your job on the data and the knowledge, uh, all of a sudden the relationship builds and builds and builds uh, to the transition that most people don't know how to do, the close. Yes. That's an amazing thing. Uh, <laughs> most people are great at, at presenting. Most people are great at, oh, we have this, and oh, we have this, and I have this data. But they don't know how to ask for this. They're afraid the person's going to say no, so they don't want to say. They don't know how to make the transition from the presentation to the close. And that's one of the key things we teach in our classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, again, without sales, there's no company. Right. Without you, you, you never make a sale unless you ask for it. But the secret is, is being so comfortable in asking. Uh, people often go through; they, they just don't know how to make that transition. And then when you learn it, wow! Then you have some uh, uh, some great, great successes. 
Right. And I, I would go through some of it with you, but in, in our time frame, I know we just don't. And uh, uh, But maybe in the future, if, if we get together, I can share some of that with you. Yeah, I'd love that because sales okay. is obviously huge. The close is, is absolutely what every business owner wants their salespeople to do. But, you know, if I'm understanding what you're talking about, certainly from the fish on marketing, which is, you know, attracting those potential prospects and then converting those people to actual customers is golden. And, yeah, and it's on their ter- it's on the customer's terms. Right. Is is the is the best thing there. Yeah. Uh, luring them is one thing because you have to do that's our job. Uh, but that's the marketing side. That's what advertising does. But then if we can make them ask the question, what does that mean? I knew I want more. Then we have the magic permission to sell, and that is the you know something everybody wants. Right. Everybody wants that. Right. What's kind of a final thought or something you want to leave our listeners with? Because we've talked about, you know, the organization, the team, the marketing, the sales, the meeting side of, you know, all the internal stuff. You are a consultant. You're brought into organizations. There's so many things to pick just one. You know, I'll tell people when people ask me, why are you you successful? And and there's a couple of answers, so I can't give you one. Uh, You can pick one of those for yourself that you want, but... I love us. When I work with a chamber of commerce or a business association, uh, these are people that do together what we can't do by ourselves. So when I work with them, I love us. When I work with a private industry client, I look at somebody as such an entrepreneur that has laid it all out on the line, which I've done and you have done. I love us. I just, there's, and, and, it, and it's not phony. It's, it's totally genuine. And if you don't think it is, you don't know me. It's just, uh, I know we all have different DNA, we act different, but I still love us, the people that put it all on the line. And then when I get to work with their employees, I try to bring them up to that level of effort and ownership of uh, an organization. The second thing, I'm I'm a a pragmatist. Uh, I just look at things from a a, a very real point of view. I get it. I understand cynicism. I also understand that it was cynicism that killed George Carlin. If you watch all of his routines for the last uh, 10 years of his life, they were funny but depressing. And, and, you know, cynicism is so easy when you go to these meetings, when you go stop and look. Uh, You say, oh, geez, I got to go to this and I got to go. You're a prisoner or a vacation. Vacationer, but you don't. You, you forget to be a seeker. You, do, you should go to a meeting and say, "Challenge! I'm, I'm going to challenge this speaker to give me something new." And uh, you know, I think those things. Uh, if you look at it, if you have true love for the people in the audience or the clients that you serve, and and I don't mean uh, something that's uh, uh, shallow. I mean it's just somebody who who you just you love because they've given it their all to get where they are. Uh, to me, it just makes total success. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for being here. My guest today, Pat McGoy. It's like the real McCoy with a G, but it's not spelled that way. <laughs> right. Anyway, check out his website at activatingpeople.com. You've been fabulous. Again, absolutely enjoyed our time together, and I look forward to the next time around. Thank you. The Sherry Hill Show values the role we play in supporting the economic engine driving this country. Small business, the backbone of America. Send her a message on Facebook.com slash Sherry Hill Show. And tune in next week, same time, same station, for The Sherry Hill Show.